Monday's experts always know what's best. And welcome to a special episode of The People's Game. I'm Jack Bannister. I'm joined in the studio today by Casey Simons and Bobby McCumber, who are part of the crew that have put together the 2018 Women's Footy Almanac. Uh, welcome, ladies. Hey, Jack. And I, I probably sold you a little bit short on the introduction because you are actually the co-host of the podcast with Ange Pippos and you are a quite well-known Melbourne comedian, Bobby. Yeah, well, my parents are big fans of my comedy, so I've been doing that very well. <laughs> uh, yeah, and doing the, the podcast with Ange Pippos has been great as well. So White Line Diva, only a couple of episodes in, but yeah, it's been good so far. So I'm going to start on the book, the cover art, Casey. Talk us through how this one came into being. It's pretty pretty nice. It is very, very nice. So, um, well, I guess the story of the front cover actually starts with an image that's on the back cover, which is a picture of Sabrina Frederick Traub that I saw online by an artist called Kendra Heil. And I looked at that and I just thought, that's one of the most powerful pieces of artwork I've seen in a long time. I just fell in love with it. So I looked up Kendra, sort of learned a little bit more about her and discovered that she's just this incredible artist. She's an awesome athlete in her own right. So she used to play uh, for the Eastern Devils um, when she came out from Canada and then she got drafted to Collingwood in their inaugural season, but unfortunately missed the year she did an ACL. Um, so she spent some time at a footy and then she's just come back into the game and now plays for Essendon and the BFLW. So she just had this amazing connection to the game and this just great eye for detail. So we caught up a couple of times and had a bit of a chat and I asked her if she would be interested in doing something for the book and she mulled it over and it sort of came down to um, the final game of the season and obviously being the grand final and she saw this picture of Hannah Scott and she was just like I want to paint this and I just said you go for it you do whatever you want I trust you and what she's produced is just this beautiful powerful image that I'm just so in love with and looks so good awesome yeah it is it is quite a nice um, little bit of art and what other pieces of hers have you seen around the place I know there's a few that I've spotted that I'm pretty in love with yeah, she's um, done some great pieces. I was actually just up in Mildura um, at an art exhibition um, that was curated by Bob Upa, who got her up there um, to sort of explain some of her pieces. And she'd just done one that was of all the Dunahers at Essendon, which is just really, really cool. Um, she's done a lot of the Collingwood boys while she was there. So there's a great one of Scott Pendlebury that looks really good and Mason Cox and um, this one of Sarah Perkins that she did from two years ago with her arms outspread after she'd kicked a goal was really amazing as well. So she's just got an eye for looking at those moments in the game that she sort of sees from, she described it as looking at it from a 360 degree angle, like there's just so much space that you can use and how the body moves in those moments. She just sort of picks just these minute parts of that and just captures it on canvas but it still looks like the images are moving like she's just so talented so yeah definitely she's got a great body of work and she takes commissions so if you've got a picture <laughs> that um you've seen that you want on your wall hit her up because she'll paint it for you and you won't be disappointed yeah that's awesome can i get a can i get a fictional self-portrait of me being good at footy um is that a thing it, I mean, I'm going to say no. She's an artist. If anyone can do it, she can do it. It's a hard, it, a hard thing to imagine, <laughs> I must say. Oh, yeah, I'd put my faith in Kendra to do that, but um, if yeah, whatever floats your boat, Jack, if that's what you want. <laughs> um, Would you take it off a photo, like if she sees a photo, or does she see the real thing? She does it from a photo most yeah. of the time. So, um, yeah, this was off a photo, the front cover of the book, and um, she said she's done, like, a couple of uh, happy snaps from, like, families at grand finals, just capturing those moments. So, yeah, I think she could do anything, yeah. Maybe something to, to think about. Yeah, I'm hoping of getting something done after the grand final this year when West Coast wins. So, yeah. um, 
We'll talk about that one later. Um, controversial, but my nerves are going up as we get closer and closer to the first week of finals. But um, cutting it right back and going back to the build-up to the AFLW season, this was a very different build-up to uh, season one in terms of the marketing mm-hmm. and how the game was promoted. Um, the AFL put a lot of time into AFLX sort of in, yes. in the six weeks prior. Um, so the rest of, or the next bit of our chat is just going to be a little bit of a look back at the season that was. It does feel a little bit distant, but... What was your take on the the start and the build-up of the AFLW season in 2018? I mean, like you said, it was so different. And it was a really, I think, a really weird feeling. Like, I think we sort of thought we'd got to this point and we'd really achieved something after season one. And I think anyone who was outside of that sort of women's community who was just so in love with the game just tried to take so much away from us. Um, so I remember sort of feeling just so kind of broken a lot of that season because I felt like so much good things were happening and there were so many great games and so many amazing moments but then it was like the memo came out and you know there was just so much commentary on Twitter about certain things and those comparisons were still running through at the same time so it was a bit of a battle for me as a fan to try and address those issues and still be passionate and defend the sport but then also just trying to ignore all that too and just bring it back to what I loved about the game, which was just sitting back and watching football. So I think it was a difficult season to endure as a fan, but I think also I still loved it and I still loved every game I went to and I think it was still an amazing season and I'm really confident that what we've done in the book is really balance that out because we wanted to address a lot of the issues that came up and we've got a lot of voices who have written in the book from different perspectives about some of those issues but then also it's about all of the magic that happened too and how incredible the season was and how incredible some of the athletes were and those moments were so yeah I think it was just a real season of to and fro and I'm really hoping that we've learned from some of those things that came up so for the next season which is probably another conversation to have that we can sort of grow from that but yeah I'm still a bit skeptical I think yeah I think coming off season one they just the AFL spent so much money on marketing and it was just in everyone's faces it was great it was positive Mm -hmm. and we didn't get that this year um and then like like you said with the memo coming out as well I remember I was I think I was interstate at the time and there was a big conversation I was in a bus with um some other people just working uh with cricket um and yeah, just saying that this would never happen to the men's competition. Yeah. And if it did, oh, it would be laughed at. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, like you said as well, a lot of negative comments coming from people, especially when the memo come out. It's just mm. like, just give it time. Yeah. Just the comparisons, it's always going to happen. The men with the women, mm-hmm. little do they know the amount of money that women are getting paid. Not only that, just the time that they're putting into it with full-time jobs, you know, with families. And then trying to compare that with a full-time male athlete, yeah, it's 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 frustrating. I, I think it's great in the book, like you said, it is highlighted both uh, the positives and negatives mm. throughout the season. Yep. Uh, and there's always going to be that, I think, for the next few years, especially with something so big. Um, Definitely. And I think Kato Halloran does an amazing essay. Oh uh, yeah. Well, which is which is fantastic. Outlines yeah. all of that stuff um, brilliantly as well. She's a, a great writer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, overall, I absolutely loved it as well. It was great. You got to see, a, a, I guess, a new crop of players that we hadn't seen from last season. And we're going to see that just continuing with these girls coming through the TAC Cup and then coming into AFL. It's 
it's exciting and yeah I, I can't wait for next season hundred mm, percent I think that was probably my mo- like favorite thing about this year was going through a draft process and seeing younger girls come through from a draft from junior footy and mm. then see them become mm. stars because that was yeah. the first time we've really experienced that in the women's space like yeah. seeing players like Chloe Molloy come out just like kill it it's oh. like oh my god like I followed your journey mm. I saw you got drafted yeah. and you're doing this amazing stuff like that was so cool yeah. mm. so the memo is next on our little little sort of a sort of vague run sheet. Um, <laughs> so there is some sort of order in the chaos. But I think that the interesting comparison, and you spoke about how there was sort of not a lot of uproar about the memo at the time from traditional voices. I think the, the interesting comparison with the beauty of hindsight is the VFL, where they talked about bringing in rule changes in VFL games or even in the, the more so the dead AFL men's games mm-hmm. towards the end of the year and trialling yeah. rules. And there was just this mass outcry about that in games that, you know, essentially it meant nothing in the context of yeah. the season. Um, how do you think that kind of stacks up against what happened in the AFLW season? It just makes me think how much the perception of control over women's bodies is held by people who shouldn't hold that sort of control. Because I think that uproar for the changes in the men's games in those games that didn't matter was just resounding. But then for such a short season to have those rule changes come in for a season that matters where every game matters like you cannot drop a game in AFLW just because of the timeline of it like that Mm. window to get into finals is just so minute to have that mid-season and it just be you have to do this this is just expected like if you're not going to do it then you'll have to pay the consequences Mm. those issues of control for me just just make me feel so upset and uncomfortable with how people view women in certain ways. It's just here, you deal with it. This is what you have and you should just be grateful for it opposed to, oh, let's maybe just try this. Oh, no, this matters. This is so important. And the difference between those two is gender, which I think is really unfair. So, yeah, it doesn't sit well with me. It makes me quite angry. Um, and I'm really hoping that we won't see anything like that again. But then also, who knows? <laughs> I found it completely patronising, mm. completely honest, when it's like, oh, wow. And, and yeah, they've had one round. Like you said, they've only got six rounds. What are, what are you doing? Everyone having to change this and and just from watching a, a scrappy game of football. And yeah, I, I, didn't, um, I didn't like it at all. Just mm. Well, that's it because you – in those, in that sort of situation, you have to have a scrappy game of football. Like you can't have a beautiful game because it matters so much more. You're going to do whatever you can to win, whether it's like stoppages, defensive play. Like it's going to be ugly because those points are so much more important than a couple of games maybe in the AFL men's season where they do have the opportunity to recover if they lose a couple of games. So, yeah, I think it was completely patronising. I think that's probably the word to sum it up. And I think there was a gulf between the expectation and the reality of what we had in the sense that we were marketing it as an elite competition despite the fact that we had essentially semi-professional athletes. Don't Mm. get me wrong, they're elite in the sense that they're the best at their particular sport at this particular time, but the resourcing behind them isn't even nearly comparable to what we have in the AFL men's competition, for example, and I've watched some absolutely horrible games of AFL men's football. Oh, yes. The, the St. Yeah. Kilda, St. Kilda, North Melbourne, St. Kilda, mm-hmm. Richmond. I don't know why it's always St. Kilda, but oh, poor like, Saints. Well, this is the thing. This is the thing that I found really weird. It's like we have this idea that like sport can't just be bad. 
like on any given yeah. day because people don't rock up. The Richmond St Kilda game earlier in the year, I was only there because I was with mum. And if mum hadn't been there, I would have left at quarter time <laughs> because Richmond were like 45 points up. And I'm like, I, and this is a very strange thing to say, is I was actually bored. I was oh, like, that's genuinely. Funny. And the interesting thing is that Gordo and I went to that, the first Carlton Collingwood game, and I think I wrote about it. And like, don't get me wrong, it wasn't a classic. But the other three games for the weekend were very, very good. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, if you put that against the normal metrics of what you get in an AFLM season, like you get three bad games. It's just that there's so many other games to talk about that those games just end up being pushed to the end and they don't get any any airtime on 360 or whatever. Yeah, 100%. And it just comes back to that issue of comparisons. Like, how many times has the opening round of the AFLM season, Carlton Richmond, been an absolute stinker? But, you know, I mean, it's I didn't still... watch it this year. It wasn't, yeah. <laughs> ironically, Carlton are one of the few teams that's led Richmond at three-quarter time. Yeah, right. um, I didn't watch it. I, yeah, but... But you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they haven't changed that fixture for so many years because of no. the results. And Carlton, are, we're still giving Carlton Friday nights. Like, yeah. if you want something that we should have a memo about, that's oh it. Oh, God, so that's many. Oh. Like, where is that little post-it note appearing in my letterbox or yeah. on Gillan McLaughlin's desk? Um, <laughs> that's right. And I think the, Kate, the quote from Kato Halloran in the book was um, that when men are crap, it's because they're crap, and when women are crap, it's because they're women. Mm-hmm. And I think that rings true in this instance. Absolutely. Yeah. And- yeah. And it's not just football that that rings true in. Yeah. That's what we deal with in a lot of factors in yeah. our life. But that's another time for that conversation. But how, no, how but, long have we got? <laughs> how long do you have? Um, but yeah, I think that kind of stuff. It still needs to be talked about, and we still need to talk about it in a way that we can try and, I think, reframe those conversations about women's sport because we can't compare. And it doesn't even matter that it's not. They, you know, they're still working towards a certain goal in becoming elite um, athletes. It that to me is almost irrelevant because I think we should just enjoy it for what it is too. Um, we don't have to get women up to this certain level or to the, be exactly the same as the men, or because I think that will happen. But I think right now we shouldn't use that as an excuse why it's not what it is because what it is is still really great. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And we've been watching men playing multiple sports for hundreds of years, and the public haven't been forced at all to watch anything of women's sport unless you're actually supporting it or you know someone. Now it's in their eye for the first time without having a couple of hundred years of them playing that sport. Mm-hmm. They're like, oh, they're nowhere near as good as the blokes. Ah, oh, we're better than this. No wonder they don't get a platform. But yeah, <laughs> we're starting two hundred from 200 yeah. years ago. Yeah. That's, yeah. It was really interesting when I spoke to Shiloh Curtis earlier in the year for the, the piece I did on her. We sort of talked about just the the total void of household name female athletes mm. that weren't Olympic sports. So like the only ones that you immediately think of for some for, until the last five or ten years are like Kathy Freeman and Dawn Fraser, yeah. and Yvonne Goulagon Corley. So they're all tennis um, or Olympic sports. And yeah. I know tennis is an Olympic sport, so I've just sort of shot myself in the foot. But, yeah, but um, like you know what mo- I mean? mostly yeah. individual sports too. Mm, yeah, mm, and they're not yeah. team orientated. Whereas mm. now, there's obviously the AFLW, but you, then you also have Elise Perry in cricket, and you have Sam Kerr in football, who are the the obvious couple. Mm-hmm. But there's just such a, a, and there's women's rugby. There's a women's NRL now, which is an interesting side product of the AFLW. Interested in your thoughts on that starting up as a as a response to the the AFLW almost? As I know that those two codes have traditionally been at war. So yeah, I mean, I'm just. The only real position I have on that is I'm just so interested to see how they do it. Mm. So I don't really have an opinion about what they're doing. I'm just sitting back and just watching them because I want to see how much they've taken away from watching the AFLW and what Mm. they're going to bring in. Um, But then I just want to see 
how they actually just bring that together because I think it's just going to be so interesting because I think I think they've had a bit of a, more of a head start in terms of women playing the game, but also they have like taken a lot longer to bring it to a professional level. So I think there's a lot of stuff there that's going to be interesting to watch. And because I'm not a rugby fan <laughs> at all. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, think, I think you speak for the podcast. On sorry. That <laughs> sorry, rugby fans. Um, but I think that was kind of my stance too, like on soccer. Like I'm not a soccer fan, but, you know, I've seen a lot of women's soccer recently mm. just because I want to support women doing their thing. So maybe it'll convert me over, but I will be watching with keen eyes on that sport. Mm. Yeah, I, I'm the same. I'm not a big rugby fan and I should know the difference between league and union, but I don't. <laughs> um, I, this podcast is so Melbourne. <laughs> I did see, obviously, the little girls had this state of origin, which was great, yeah. and I saw all the hype for that, and I kept an eye on that. I didn't know too much about the actual league itself, though, to be honest. So yeah. this was the first year that they had that? Uh, NRLW is next year, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, the so they're year. just getting ready yeah. for it now. Yeah. But yeah, I was probably I'm not too aware of it till recently too, Bobby, yeah. for that reason, because I'm just not paying that attention. But I'm trying to pay attention to, yeah, ground swells that are supporting women, so. Yeah. So... Just, I guess, probably the final comment there is that the, the sporting event of the next 12 months is probably the Matildas at the World Cup, mm-hmm. which is probably the only chance we'll have to actually win a uh, yeah. soccer World Cup in the next 50 years, despite what the, the dreamers may say. And I think that's something to really look forward to on the back of the, the rise of women's sport. But cutting it right back to AFLW and to the book, you mentioned before Kato Halloran's work. Um, do you have a favourite piece in there, Casey? I know that, you know, like a, like any good mother, you can't really pick your favourite child. Uh, I knew and, you were going to ask I this. will have to just, you can't say mine because brownie points get you nowhere in this podcast. You can say mine. I've got three in there. <laughs> well, I've got pieces in there too, you know. Like. And you can't say your own. Okay. Um, yeah, no, I am a good mother and I couldn't pick my favourite out of all my babies. Um, but, I mean, I think there are pieces in there that, the ones that I've enjoyed the most editing and reading are the ones that have made me really think something different about the sport um, because I think we've got so many diverse voices in there and so many writers have come to AFLW from different backgrounds and different experiences of the sport that have been different from my own. So I think those pieces that have made me learn something um, have been just a pleasure to read. So there's... Um, a piece in there by uh, Trinity Hanley that sort of goes back to the conversation we had earlier about the comparisons, which I found really interesting. So he um, used to play waffle football over in Perth. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's coming up from it from a male athlete point of view and just enjoying the women's game. And um, that was a really interesting essay. Um, anything that Georgina Hibbard has written about the GWS Giants, um, she's just such a passionate fan of that side and she was actually a Sydney supporter. So they, she's written that they've almost sort of convinced her to swap teams just because of how they go about it and their culture, which I, I've really enjoyed reading her stuff um, across the season. Um, even, like, I probably will pull out one of Bobby's pieces because there's a piece she wrote about the Pride game, which um, it was just like a little bit of her background and how she used to support Hawthorne, but then because of their stance on, on the marriage equality plebiscite last year, she decided to sort of move across more to the Western Bulldogs. And I thought... No, that's something that I haven't had to think about because that's not my experience, which just goes to, you know, how I viewed, you know, my privilege in that space. And reading that was just made me really think about what this game can do to, to different people who have not been traditionally welcomed in the men's sport before. And I thought, well, this is just great that we have this thing now that 
we can bring so many more people in and it actually teaches us how people come to football and what football means to so many different people. So definitely a lot of pieces in the book that have really showed me a different side of the game, which has just been really beautiful. But oh, I just couldn't pick out a standout favourite for sure. <laughs> I love them all equally. <laughs> so I'm going to throw to Bobby on that piece that you've just mentioned, Casey. Just talk us through uh, the construction of that piece and, and your footballing allegiances, which seem like they're yeah. somewhat up in the air. It happened when um, Carlton actually put a tweet out um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with their no stance. Yep, 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 so yep. I put a tweet out saying that they were gutless and said everything that I thought. Like, how hard is it to support equality? And then I saw a few other people tweeting about um, Hawthorne. I was like, hang on a minute. <laughs> what have Hawthorne <laughs> said? They didn't put a tweet out, but it was, there was a statement on their website and it mm-hmm. was, yeah, that there was just no stance on uh, marriage equality. So uh, I've been a member for a few years and I sent an email through and just questioned it and then they sent a very vague email back and had the link of that statement. I'm like, I, oh, I saw your statement. <laughs> uh, and then, yeah, I just went back and said how, you know, you take a stand on racism, you take a stand on sexism, you know, what is different with um, homophobia, you know, marriage equality. I'm someone who is gay and I've supported your club all my life, but I won't support a team that doesn't support me. So, yeah, there was me. That I've got two of my really good mates, uh, Reams and, uh, and Mel Jones, and we're all mad Hawthorne supporters. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jones and I, from that moment, said we don't go for Hawthorne anymore because they're not supporting us. Uh, Reams has got her whole house decked out in Hawthorne memorabilia, so she unfortunately is still with Hawthorne. <laughs> she couldn't afford the change. Um, well, maybe she could have sold all the memorabilia, made a small fortune, and, <laughs> I know. you know, I don't know, started her own AFL club or football club. Mm. <laughs> Reams <Yeah>. FC. <laughs> uh, and, and Doggies, I think, for a lot of people, it's... Your second favourite team. We were living in mm. Footscray. Uh, Mel and I live together now in Footscray. Um, and, yeah, we love AFLW and they were very um, supportive. of. We had a look at the teams that did support marriage equality and there were, I think, 14, 14 altogether of the AFL clubs. Yep. And of the AFL and AFLW, there was, yeah, there was a few as well. So, so just go through the four that, so Hawthorne, Carlton. Hawthorne, oh, that did it? That didn't. Oh, jeez, I don't know off the top of my head, I'm sorry. No, all good. Um, Definitely Hawthorne and Carlton. Uh, Just in case we needed any more reason to dislike Hawthorne and Carlton, (laughs) which I didn't. (laughs) Definitely those two. Yeah, um, unfortunately, yeah, they didn't. So, um, yeah, um, Footscray, they were so great in supporting it. They had an AFLW team, and then they had that pride game, which is like, God, I'm living in Footscray. This is my team. This is our team. So, went to the game, and it it was amazing. It was fantastic. Mm. They just... Well, I was sitting there with Mel, and we were just saying, like, how great is this to... Because we both grow up, grew up playing sport and different things and mm-hmm. you know, having to hide your sexuality a lot of the time because people say, just don't, you know, don't act like that. It's not right to be like that. And here we are at this game. There's rainbow flags, there's people holding hands, there's young LGBTIQ people walking around, comfortable. It was just... It was a brilliant game. And, you know, the doggies won. Brooke Lachlan kicked seven goals. But... <laughs> It was yeah. just a magnificent game all round, just because yeah. of the the pride match, and yeah, it was amazing. So, just talk us through um, for some of the Carlton players. I imagine playing in that game for a club that hadn't openly supported marriage equality would have been pretty pretty tricky. Yeah, I know that. Um, I know that Darcy Vesio uh, was quite vocal um, yep. with with the club on that. Um, 
which I, I mean, I love Darcy. I think she's mm. an amazing footballer, so hilarious just as mm. a person, but just such so strong with her opinions and mm. you know fighting the patriarchy, all that. She is a lover. She's funny, yeah. <laughs> she, yeah, she, she's great in every sense. Um, and I loved when I saw that she actually stood up to them um, mm. as a marquee player. You know, people will probably be scared to or to jeopardize their spot or anything like that. But mm. she stood up and she said what she believed, and she was really disappointed and stuff. Uh, and, and I thought that was amazing. So I know um, there were some other players that, that stood with her on that. I'm not 100% sure on what happened after mm. that, but I just thought it was great that she did ex- yeah, express definitely. Her, her feelings yeah. and disappointment to the club. Yeah, Gordon mm. and I said at the time that I just thought it was a little bit awkward that yeah. Carlton were playing in that game, oh, yeah, having yeah. not come out and supported yeah. marriage equality openly. Yeah. Um, and then with someone like Darcy Vessio, who is Instagramming about the patriarchy on yeah. a, mm. on a second, you know, every second day, yeah. and so much, I love patriarchy jokes. <laughs> um, they're, they're among my favourite bits of content on Instagram, and it just, yeah, it was all, a, it's strange. Yeah. Um, on such an on a night that probably it was probably like it's not a massive downer on it really in the grand scheme it was inherently a good thing but yeah. I just it was so at odds with the flavor of the competition yeah the stance definitely that those two clubs had. Yeah. I think for the players who played it I think it probably meant a lot to them to be mm. because that was something they were passionate about in that messaging but then yeah the disconnect between how the players would have felt for that game and what it represented to what the club stood for, I think mm. was really, yeah. like you said, awkward's probably a good word for yeah. it. Yeah. So while we're on the equality topic, I suppose, uh, the other sort of main news story out of the back end of the year was the Katie Brennan suspension for the grand final because we don't have fines in AFLW. So she yeah. essentially got suspended for an incident or incident that wouldn't have seen her suspended in the men's code. And that was, well, there was talk of it going quite a long way. What was your take on that one at the time, Kate? Oh, it was just like, bravo, Katie Brennan. <laughs> it's yeah. just you absolute champion because she was so hard done by and I'm not going to get into debates about rules are rules and they signed on and the Hayes Association agreed to those rules and just because this you know came up that we shouldn't change them and blah, blah, blah. Um, I don't care about any of that because <laughs> I think you should – if you can issue a memo in round two to change rules, <laughs> you can look at something situational like this and agree that it was manifestly unfair. Um, so for what she did, because she put herself on the line for so much criticism and just knew that she had to do that because no one else was going to do it and she made a stand and I just couldn't have been prouder of that girl. I saw her in the rooms um, after the game on grand final day. I was fortunate enough to go into the rooms and do some interviews with players on that day, which was an, a wonderful experience. And I saw her just quickly for just two minutes and just said, congratulations. And she just thanked me. She doesn't really know who I am, but she was like, thank you for the support. She was just so graceful. And then I just watched her for another 10 minutes, just get around everyone in that room who wanted a photo of her, who just wanted to pat her on the back. And I just thought, you absolute star. Mm. Um, I don't know many people who could go through what she went through and still be that person. Um, and it's great that they have looked at the rules now so it won't happen again. But yeah. it's just... I'm so angry that she went through that. But then also it's just amazing that we have someone like her who has stood up and made those changes because I just couldn't say enough good things about her. She's really, really made a difference. Yeah. It's unfortunate when they do um, have rule changes or anything, it's it's generally a circumstance for something that's happened for that rule to be changed. Like you said, yeah, they come out with a memo to change that. Surely they could have had 
exceptional circumstances in this yeah. case. Uh, they didn't. Um, Katie was a professional and just a, a complete role model and gracious throughout the whole thing. I mean, she could have thrown her boots, kicked up a fuss and said, this bullshit. I would have. I would have been crying in the corner. I would have been like, I give up. I'm so sad. But yeah, but I mean, she was, she was great throughout, um, held her head high. And it's good that she, you know, she did what she did and she still went to take it to the AFL so that mm. it will change for people in the future. It's unfortunate that she had to go through that. But um, yeah, hopefully, well, hopefully that won't happen to anyone again. And, yeah. Mm. I mean, I think it came out as another example of the AFL making policy for the competition hastily. And yeah. so they probably hadn't thought through, oh my God, what's the worst possible case scenario that can yeah. happen with this one and sort of done the due diligence you'd expect in a policy like that to work out how it could potentially yeah. be really problematic. Um, and it got shown up in the worst possible way and they really had no choice but to change it once yeah. it yeah. happened. It's just such a shame that it did happen. Yeah. Um, and I guess the, the the immediate comparison was between Katie Brennan and Bob Murphy and it's really interesting you mentioned how Katie was on the day because mm-hmm. I think in private, and that's something that comes through in Bob's book, um, is very much how how difficult that is. It's a real internal struggle because you've got people who um, want you to be happy and want to sort of hug you and and you're sort of like very conflicted and then you feel guilty for feeling conflicted and there's such a raft of emotions going on that I I think it'll be something that when she speaks about it more openly in future could be potentially really, really interesting. And she's Mm. had, in terms of a, purely from a competition marketing perspective, they've basically now played nearly two full seasons without, you could argue the best, player yeah. in the game, certainly the best forward in the game. Yeah. And I think that's a real shame for, for her yeah. personally, but also for for the dogs who took her as a marquee and just haven't been able to get her on the park. Mm. And I think if they can, it'll make a huge... I mean, they basically won a premiership without, you know, one of the yeah. best three players in the competition. And that's... Yeah. I know there's been a few uh, moves and shakers over the off-season, but it's potentially scary what they could do yeah. come yeah. next season um, if they actually can get her fit. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. But they just found another way. And I think in the end there was... I don't think anyone really thought they would lose that game. I don't know what you guys thought going into it. Mm, I did expect a bit more from Brisbane. Um, I think they still played an incredible, great game that day. Um, mm. It was very fierce. but It was also pissing with rain. It was shocking yeah. conditions. Yeah. It was a horrible, horrible Melbourne day. Yeah. Um, but I just sort of, I think sometimes I let the fairy tales um, dictate how I think a game's going to go. And I think how I went to that game, surely Brisbane can't lose two grand finals in a row. Surely not. Um, they'll win. They'll win. Like, everyone will be happy. And then I just like, oh, no. They have a bit of a streak going because uh, Jess Wushner posted something on Instagram. She's now lost five grand finals in a row. as oh. a per- So two with Brisbane oh. and then three with local clubs. And I think they lost the fifth one, yeah, That's a couple brutal. of weeks ago. Um, I think Katie Brennan, isn't she, she's never lost a grand final? I'm oh, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Never lost a grand final. All the Darabin ones. Yeah, yeah. All the Darabin, And then when she was in Queensland before that, everything. <laughs> and then, yeah. yeah, playing for Victoria. Oh, she, oh, actually, she played for Queensland. Yeah, club or um, AFL. And Queensland so would have never made the grand finals, no. I can imagine, in junior stuff. Yeah, so she wouldn't have lost it. Unless Katie was literally kicking bags. Um, <laughs> I, and I, yeah, don't don't doubt that one bit. Yeah, it's it's funny. I feel like with some, you're either one way or the other. Yeah. And you probably, it's one of those things where you probably don't talk about people that have an even distribution of wins and losses. You mm. only talk about the outliers. So yeah. it seems remarkable at the time. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Bobby? No good. No good. <laughs> no good. No. I, um, I played a lot of cricket for Victoria as a junior, mm-hmm. and we used to lose to New South Wales 
every single year. Oh, no. We were just the biggest joke because I, I hated it. Um, so I've lost uh, state cricket finals or national cricket finals, I think maybe six or seven times. Um, oh. Footy, I, I've lost a couple of grand finals to Melbourne Uni when I was playing for the Spurs. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was vice captain and we won the premiership, but I did my knee two weeks beforehand. So. Oh, no. Yeah. And then the last... Uh, 2004, I think we won. I was actually working for the Victorian Women's Football League at the time, and there was people didn't like that I was playing for a team and working for the league at the same time, as though there was a conflict of interest. However, there was no other competition to play in. Yeah. Um, so I, I worked one year and played one year, and it was I just actually didn't enjoy playing. So then I took the next year off because I didn't want to deal with everything else. I wasn't enjoying my footy. Yeah. And we won a premiership. <laughs> Oh my god! So then I retired. <laughs> yeah. So from a coaching perspective, it's like, hey Bobby, maybe maybe we won't pick you on Grand Final day. <laughs> That's horrible, but yeah, I want to kick Grand Final eventually uh, with my club uh, when I come back after travelling overseas for a couple of years, mm. and then I was just playing socially, and I, it was the most fun I've ever had. And yeah, then yeah. we won a premiership, and then I retired after that. Yeah, I think the, the, there's some weird prophetic. So I think Richo played in one and one in seventeens. Then, but the first game he can remember watching is the nineteen eighty grand final. It's a, there's a great excerpt, excerpt in the the Flanagan book on uh, Richo yeah. where that's the first Richmond memory is the nineteen eighty premiership, and then Richo obviously then it's just like this horrible foreshadowing omen, <laughs> like and you just look at it, oh no, like you can't make that up. Oh, like, that's, that's so that's Richmond. too good to be true. <laughs> um, and I really hope that that's actually there's no creative license being exercised yeah. <laughs> because that's too good to believe. So the other sort of last story of the year was the Cowan and Goddard departures mm. and the situation we're in now where we have a a game for women that's essentially run by men plus Nicole Livingston. Um, <laughs> and what, what what did you kind of make of Cowan oh. and Goddard being? or essentially being forced to step away from from AFLW. It's another thing that made me really angry. <laughs> You're saying such a such a light tone. <laughs> I've got a lot of anger inside. No, um got uh, a lot of anger. <laughs> well I've got a really high pitched voice so you can never tell when I'm angry. <laughs> um Oh, I, it was really disappointing, I think, to lose two women like that. Um, like someone like Michelle Cowan, who's just been around the game for years, mm. has so much knowledge. And then someone like Beck Goddard, who's come in and was able to do what she did with essentially two teams in two different states and win a flag. To have those women both lost now to football is just an absolute tragedy. And I can't understand why they weren't able to stay in the game in some capacity um, at the elite level. I I'm really baffled. I'm really baffled. Yeah, it's it's extremely disappointing. Those two women weren't um, offered, I guess, full time work as a coach at those at those clubs. Whereas every other AFLW club, which had a male coach, had full time coaching positions. Yep. It, it it was horrendous. It is horrendous. It's it's mm. terrible that that's the case. Um, you know, I've got friends that have played the game and are now coaching, and for them, they, they see that and they see all the struggles, and they're just like, you know, why why would we bother? Which mm-hmm. is so disheartening. It's like, you know, we mm. had these two women that have been working in football. They were at the peak, but they weren't given the opportunity to go full-time. Um, the, the reward for coaching an AFLW team, I know 
I know some people that have been offered assistant coaching roles for AFLW teams that are getting offered six thousand dollars just for an AFLW. It's incredible to be an assistant coach of an elite women's team. Like, (laughs) isn't that insane? (laughs) Of course, and you know some of them would say yes and they take it because they want that opportunity. But that's six thousand dollars to that's your entire summer. That's your whole. It's just a massive ask. Mm. Um, and yeah, and other people just go, why? Why, mm. why would I wait? Yeah. Unfortunately, they see it now as a waste of time because they're not getting those opportunities further up the ladder as well. Definitely. And yeah, it's a, it's a massive pay cut to anything any male yeah. would get in a similar yeah. situation. For sure. And I think like going to like the pathways side of it too, like the one of the biggest messages coming out of AFLW is now young girls playing the game have a pathway. They can go into this elite competition but we don't really see that translating to other parts of the game. Not all young women want to play the game. They want to coach the game. They want to work in administration of the game. They want to be in governance of the game. Um, so you see women who get those opportunities, but it's not something that gets them in that helps them grow and keep moving forward. So what is the pathway for women who do want to work in sport or coach the game? Um, it seems like there isn't anything at the moment. Um, so it's just it kind of makes you think, yeah, what is the point? Why am I going to work all these hours, put in all this time, get all this experience to then only be stopped when I get to the level that I've been fighting my whole life to get to? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's especially some of the women that are bowing out are amazing coaches. Like yeah. I'm like, oh, mm. God, you, you're, you're fantastic. You're amazing. You, you know, what are you doing next? And then when I hear these stories, I'm like, God. Oh, Damn, for everything that you do and mm. the, the difference that you're making to these players and stuff, it's it's just unfortunate that they're not supported to continue with something that they're great at. Definitely. And then it's just disappointing to hear the excuses that come down to time or money or budgetary requirements or, you know, staffing, which mm. are all easily solved. <laughs> um, so, yeah. I mean, I fail to, to see why someone like Beck Goddard couldn't be of a lot of value to a... Yeah. To an AFL men's coaching department, as all we're, I mean, we're talking about, we're not talking about her being a head coach or a head of football. We're literally talking about her being a line coach, mm-hmm. like that. I, I mean, yeah, I find that staggering. And if you're talking about Adelaide, maybe they would have been been a hell of a lot better off in the last twelve yeah, months. Yeah, I think with they could have used her really, there, at least as a bit of common sense. <laughs> Definitely, um, but it does set a really dangerous developmental precedent precedent because you end up with a lot of women playing the game, but then that stuff around it, yeah. Um, not there, and the, I think the really disappointing thing, and you sort of touched on this, Bobby. There's a lot of women who have been heavily involved in the, getting AFL to this point, mm. and AFLW to this point, that are now working elsewhere in other sports, uh, not really involved at high levels, and I think that's a huge shame. So, just moving on to 2019, um, talking controversies, we've obviously had in the recent or in recent weeks the. The six and two chatter coming out of HQ that we're going to get a shortened season with more teams. Um, this is, I mean, it seems counterintuitive, and I know Daisy Pierce has been really strong. What do you, what's your take on the the outlook of season twenty nineteen? I mean, I'm definitely Team Daisy. <laughs> Whatever she's put forward, I'm a hundred percent behind. Um, sure, she's so good. Um, but what she uh, presented, I think, makes complete sense. Is just to move the season forward into earlier Jan. Um, if they do want a bit more of this term that they keep using, clear space. But I don't think they need clear space anyway. Clear oxygen. <laughs> Free air. Um, but yeah, six and two is just. Uh, a slap in the face again um, for what has gone into this competition up until this point. Um, I can't see any reason why they can't start earlier. I know 
weather will be a factor, but then weather was a factor in the season anyway at that time. It's not any different in January than to February. And I think you can solve that with fixturing, just more night games, not having games in the morning up in the Northern Territory probably help. Um, <laughs> so I think there are ways that you can make that work. And I think it would be a great season. And then just if they want to have it finish up around the same time with the men's, like that's fine. But then also I'd be happy with them going into the men's season anyway. I don't think it loses any merit if it's going up against the men's games because people will still watch it if they want to watch it. If people don't want to watch it and they want to watch the men's game, they probably weren't going to watch it anyway. So why are we even trying to appease both these supporter groups when they're probably in separate pools anyway? So... Yeah, I really hope they do come up with something that is much, much more than six and two. <laughs> yeah, well, they have to. I mean, idealistically, they want clear space, but you're never going to get the game to develop because it's, that's how the men's game is fixtured. And then with, I guess they're talking about the WBBL as well. That's always there. So it, you're going to have to have crossover if you want the women's game to develop. So mm-hmm. I'm happy for it to go a little bit later and go into the men's. Yeah. I think I agree with you when... If women are going to, if supporters are going to come and watch women, they're going to come and watch them play. If there's men's game on. I think it's great to have the option more football. It's not like they're going to be fighting for any of the grounds. Let's be yeah. Honest. So <laughs> there's nothing to worry about there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and all the players will be the same. I, I think it's great that the players, everyone said what they thought. All of them wanted longer season. That six two is ridiculous, especially when you've got another couple of teams coming through. So yeah, make it longer. Make it go through the men's games, and it's there's no supporter that's going to be too upset about missing um, one or the other. I think they'll be mm. able to work it out as long as the girls are getting a fair go and getting a proper season, which they deserve. Absolutely. And, like, just on that, how good was it to see all of those players be so vocal about what they wanted? I just was rejoicing about that because you just you don't see that a lot mm. in the men's game and from male athletes, mostly because... I mean, I'm sure they're getting paid and I was about to say, they they don't have that much to whinge about. I'm sure they have the issues, but, um, to see them feel empowered and passionate about what they're putting their bodies on the line for, it was just good to see that, that they weren't just giving the party lines that they're actually standing up for what they believed in. I love seeing that. I mean, the competition teeters on the edge of, and the term that was bandied around was Mickey Mouse. (laughs) <laughs> and then Gil put his, his foot in it by referencing the World Cup as a four-week tournament that's very serious, which just so, shows a complete misunderstanding of the dynamics of how international football and foot, like round ball football actually works. Yeah. Um, so that was incredibly bizarre. And it's interesting that you mentioned the weather because that's a very convenient excuse when it matters. You know, yeah. like we still play an AFL men's game in Darwin when it's 33 degrees and it's mm. not a problem. And then we're playing AFLW there in February. Mm-hmm. And it's like, like okay, so the, we can't play on the 1st of January because of weather. Yeah. Like, well, no. Do you understand climate? <laughs> um, you're, you're worse than the federal Liberal Party. Like, um, So, yeah, I mean, it's all, all very strange. And I think, I think the premise that, we have to, or it seems that the AFL is thinking is that everything has to be on TV, which just strikes me as really stupid because if we have a game of the round and then we live stream other games, like the players are literally not going to care. And that's where the the hypocrisy of this is that we have the money to prop up Gold Coast, but we don't have the money to prop up AFLW. And it's like, Mm. you can't tell me that something has to be 100% able to stand on its own feet before we put money into it. Because if you just hold Gold Coast there, like... Like, hello, stand on your own two feet. No, it's fallen over. Oh, it's fallen over again. Let's give it another million. (laughs) It it just doesn't make any sense. No. There's so many excuses that are being flown about. But also not any solutions. So, Mm. you know, 
putting aside if they don't think they have the money to prop up a women's league, which we know they do if they wanted to. Um, but they also don't try to make any more money in that space. They're not charging for tickets. Um, you know, they're not really pushing memberships. Like clubs sort of sell their own little memberships to try mm. and like fund their own football departments, but it's not their big seller. Like why don't you actually sell memberships to give you access to games that will bring in some more revenue? Um, like AFLW merchandise is really, really minimal. So there are ways that you could start bringing money because people want to pay to watch these women. People will buy tickets. People will buy merchandise. Mm. So I think there are solutions there to make that revenue to really put that competition forward if they want to. But then also I know they don't need to because they can do it themselves if they want to. But it just sort of seems like you hear more about the excuses about why they can't do things rather than, well, what can we do to make these things happen? Yeah. It's like the AFL don't believe that people will come and watch unless it's free. Which, which wanna... I just think that's bollocks. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Like, mm-hmm. as an athlete, like, and I'm not saying, but tickets shouldn't be 40 bucks. No. But for, if you say pay 10 bucks, yeah. I would have gone to exactly the same amount. You're yeah. going to lose maybe 100 or 200 people yeah. max. Yeah. Like, you're going to lose that, oh, how much is it? Oh, it's free. So you're going to lose some poor students, essentially. <laughs> like... They really a big loss, but but yeah, it just and that's the thing that there's almost a lack of willingness to do those things that could make it better. Yeah, for and sure. That's probably the frustration for you guys. Yeah, definitely, because I think you do see a lot of opportunities there, and then you just hear the excuses at why they're not happening, and you know that those excuses don't mean anything. So mm. I think when you hear that stuff just coming back at you, all you're really hearing is, oh, it doesn't matter women's football doesn't matter. Yeah. That's all you really hear. And, and that's really, really disappointing. But I don't know. I'm trying to be optimistic about things moving forward. <laughs> <laughs> but just to throw to you as well, Bobby, um, what do, you, do you think they fundamentally misunderstand the product and how to market it? I don't know. After AFLW won, mm. I was like, oh, this is great. Finally, they're all getting on board with it. But yeah, just simple things like, as we said, charging and stuff. I, I, I don't fully understand why they don't do that mm. Mm. other than because I know that they said that they want to get more people to the games but yeah people want to come to the games anyway and everyone is saying we're happy to pay five or ten bucks yeah and that's still cheap that's cheaper than your local footy you mm. know? but it's something that's going in yeah it's got to be something to go towards the women and and I think that's a thing as well people supporters want to pay because they want to they know that you know there's little money going into the women's game if they can be some small contribution let them do it I think I saw, I think it was Lucy Race who tweeted a while ago that she pays $5 a game to watch her son play junior basketball on the weekends. And it's like, but she can't pay elite women um, to play in an elite competition. Yeah. Like, that's just ridiculous to me. Yeah. And it's I've done that money, before. It's what the money says. It's definitely. I've, I've said that before. That's exactly you know, It's like right. you are worth paying to go watch. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's probably the thing that, re- and I, I think I said that during season two. I couldn't believe that season two wasn't ticketed yeah and even i mean i've said this before even if it's free it actually should be ticketed because purely for safety reasons like you can't have 28 or 29,000 people in princess park for a 24,000 seat stadium that felt like it was going to fall down yeah Yeah. like i was actually like well this is not safe at the the very opening game and i'm like they have to find a way of avoiding that yeah Yeah. tickets um believe it or not Yeah. Mm. yeah so any closing thoughts on the women's footy almanac um, I think my closing thoughts on it are, because I guess we probably have dissected a lot of the issues coming out of the game in the season, um, which are really complicated and, 
you know, as we have discussed, quite frustrating and some of it has been very upsetting. But then I think the other side of it, which we probably don't talk enough about and doesn't get a lot of traction on social media because we are talking about what's wrong with the game, is the actual excitement and magic of the game that is just really, really special. And I think that's why... I'm so excited to be part of the Footy Almanac and bringing this Women's Footy Almanac book together is because it does highlight each and every game and the actual game that was played and what those women can do and just the amazing stories around the game. So while I do like to get on my high horse sometimes and talk about what I'm passionate about with the sport and what I want to see fixed about it, I'm also excited that now I have this book in my hands that also highlights the amazing things about the game and why I love it. Um, So I think that's kind of what the book is for me. It's kind of this little package of talking about the game in a really respectful way, highlighting these amazing warrior women who play it and just hearing new stories about the game and what it means to people because I think that to me is why I get so upset about it sometimes when things are not going quite right with it because I love it so much and I'm and so passionate. So I think, yeah, to me, this is just like, this is a very special thing I'm holding right now. And I hope that when people pick it up and have a read, they, they think those things too. Yeah, I agree 100%. I read the book last year, you know, I'm, I'm reading it now and it just takes you back to mm. the actual season and, you know, what we love about it is our personal experiences and, and what it does for us. And, yeah, it just gives you a snippet of what it does for so many different people. And I, I just think that's absolutely beautiful, that it, it has such a positive impact on so many people. And that's what this book is about, you know, the positive stories that people have and people talking about their daughters or their sisters, their partners themselves, just seeing the opportunity for women to be able to play footy and and, and just seeing what any women, any female child can do now in the future. I, I think it's really positive and and exciting to read. So hopefully everyone will get some enjoyment out of it. I think they will for sure. <laughs> and on that note, uh, a big thank you to you, Bobby McCumber, for coming in and joining us for talking about the Women's Footy Almanac. Oh, you welcome. It was good fun. Yeah, definitely lifted the standard of the comedy in the, the pot cave, <laughs> um, which you did say in the lead up, Casey. And a big thank you to you as well for, for popping in as ever. Thanks um, for having we might, me. We might invite Gordo back on. We might just get rid of him. You don't know. Um, it's probably... <laughs> hey, I'm Gordo. Hey, I'm going to go back just like, I'm pretty, was, did Gordo just come in? <laughs> oh, there you are, mate. Oh, hi, mate. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> See you all later. Always know what's best. Always tell you what you should have done. Monday's experts. Always know what's cooking, how the game was lost and how it could have been won. And when Monday comes around, everyone's an expert.